This is Podco Media Networks. It's the Demystifying Data Podcast with Chris Clegg, where we deconstruct the tools and techniques marketers need to make data more actionable. Here's Chris. Hello, welcome. Thank you for participating in another episode of the Demystifying Data Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Brad Weirs, who is a co-founder of Encore Worldwide. Brad's been in the industry for about 28 years. The thing that I got to say I respect the most about the way he approaches his trade has to do with the commitment to strategy and marketing strategy and the fact that it always starts there. And I'd love to start off, Brad, by just asking about where that comes from. Like, what's the motivation? What's your thinking? And how do you start with strategy when you're challenged with promoting a a brand? Great question, Chris. (laughs) And I suppose not a, a super simple one, except that we like to operate with the lights on, which to us means using as much data and as good of data as possible as we can get our hands on. I suppose that's the single biggest thing. It's We have this quote we use sometimes in our introductory presentations that if I can remember exactly, but it's if you're not using good data, you're just another person with an opinion. And that really, I think, is true. Not that all data is perfect or equal, but you've got to at least try to get really good data to help you make good decisions and not just do things that sound right or you feel are right are right based on everything that you have access to. And one of the things we talk about is when we put a campaign recommendation out in front of a client, if they, at the end of the presentation, say, well, do you have a favorite one that you, the creative you just put in front of us that you would like to recommend? We kind of feel like we've failed because clearly the insight data that we're using, at least when everything goes perfectly well, it should clearly indicate this is the best idea. And there shouldn't yeah. be a, a whole lot of debate around it. And uh, otherwise, you're just kind of guessing. Sure. So for me, I always am stuck with this idea that insights or strategy is very relative to the person I'm being <laughs> accountable to and how they think about business and the decisions they're going to have to make. And I wonder to what degree is there a static approach that you apply or a formula of some sort that seems to work more often than not? And to what degree is everything completely custom and you've got to start with fresh thinking? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'll start with an anecdote. I spent many years in the big agency world in the experiential space. And then I had a period of years when I was consulting on my own for agencies before we started Encore. So I was consulting with a variety of experiential agencies, some of the biggest and best ones out there. And every time I would go in and meet uh, the leadership of one of these experiential agencies, and I would say, hey, I do strategy work in the experiential space. And they would say, oh, well, okay, that's fine. You know, we, we already do a lot of strategy. And I would walk them through one of my examples of the data dive work that I do and give them a real world example. And almost to a man, every single time when I was done, they would say, yeah, yeah, we don't do that. That's like a whole nother nother level. At this point in my career, I think most people out there, that's probably a gross generalization, but an awful lot of them, a strategy is, or an insight is just kind of a thought they have. It's just kind of an idea that they have. Yeah. And um, our approach is to follow the data. 
So when we have a new opportunity we're working on, we subscribe to a a variety of third-party data sources and we surround, we start with the consumer going through every research study we can find about that consumer from every conceivable or at least relevant perspective. And so when you're talking about strategy and a target consumer, you're talking about the consumer that the brand is recommending you focus on, yeah? That is correct. Yeah, almost always we get it from them. So we follow the data and look at every possible data source that we have access to, looking at that consumer through every possible lens and look for things that are surprising, look for things that are counterintuitive, for things that I never would have guessed are true. And that's when I know that we might be onto something. And then... Can you give an uh, example? Oh, gosh, you're going to put me on the spot. One time we were looking at, we were talking to a paint brand, like a household paint brand, and they wanted to reach their consumer was, I think they had told us it was roughly just millennials. Uh-huh. And uh, which, of course, you hear a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and we were we were able to uncover by looking at the data very quickly that um, it wasn't just millennials. If they really wanted to focus in on the right audience, that they should be looking at new homeowners because new homeowners obviously are much more likely to be spending money on um, renovating their home within the first year or two. But the data actually got a little bit tighter than that. And we were able to say not just new homeowners, but who are new homeowners. It's actually the biggest single segment of that is first-time parents. And so very quickly, we were able to, to tighten it the audience from just millennials, which is a really broad category, not just new home buyers, but new parents, because there are that's like the most tightest segment we could possibly find to focus on for people who are doing lots of DIY and lots of uh, home renovations and painting. So that's just one quick random example. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And that I mean, I'm a huge fan of niche, like the more niche you can get without losing the efficiency, the more successful you're going to be in marketing. Absolutely to be that that's part of the process for sure. So what do you say to people that say you can't measure experiential marketing? I say they're wrong. <laughs> Realistically, anything can be measured. It's just a question of how difficult, how expensive it's going to be, how good the data is going to be on the outset. And um, very big part of our positioning as an agency that we can measure ROI and um, measure the impact of what we're doing. And it's... <laughs> For better or worse, um, when we're just meeting with potential new clients, you get a lot of head nodding when you start talking about that. And they get typically pretty excited and they're, they perk up when you tell them that you can do this. It's really interesting. And I actually sometimes will say this during that same meeting that, that flash forward a month or two later. And it's always the first thing to get cut from the budget is the actual cost to measure. <laughs> so something always happens. I don't know what the problem is that they say they want to do it, but then they so much of the time it does frustratingly actually get cut from the budget. They, uh, yeah, I wish it was something that every client did in every case. So tell me about yourself. How'd you get into the industry? How'd you get into marketing and have that lead into experiential <laughs> and lead into kind of agency entrepreneur? The joke is that no one studies, you don't major in experiential marketing in college, right? (laughs) I certainly didn't. I don't, maybe you can do that now. In fact, you probably can somewhere. I studied marketing and it just turned out through happenstance. It happened to be my first job was in, you know, back then it was event marketing. 
and stumbled into an amazing job with a, a company called Whittle Communications, which was uh-huh. a fast growing, very, very innovative alternative media company, actually, and they had just launched an event marketing group. I was the third hire in it and just lucked out, no question, into an amazing job right out of school and just fell in love with it and was doing amazing things just right out of the gates. And here I am, I don't know, gosh, almost 30 years later, I've left the industry a couple times, but the industry has pulled me back in a couple times. I keep trying to move on and it keeps sucking me back in, but it it's the thing I had the most success with in my life, have worked for small independents, um, have worked for big global publicly traded agencies, and kind of actually love both. Okay. And had the opportunity to launch what was a startup just, uh, well, we're, we're just about to hit our two-year anniversary with Encore. But, you know, it's when you're an owner or a part owner and you're working with people who you've worked with for 15 plus years who you've absolutely fought in the trenches with for many years and you have total love and respect for. It's a lot more fun uh, under those circumstances when you have control and, and working with amazing people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you guys get to work with some amazing brands, too. It's uh, It's such a. I don't want to say lucky. It's like a blessed place to be, to be able to do the good work for good brands on your terms. There's nothing sweeter. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you think about your experience in the industry, your three decades, what's changed? What were things like when you started out? And I guess I'm really interested in specifically, like, how did expectations change? What was your experience and how you needed to be accountable or how you were expected to approach? strategy before and then how has that evolved and where would you say things are today? Yeah, there's no question expectations have gone up and accountability has gone up. I mean, when I started out and for many years thereafter, it was largely sponsorship activation was a huge part of the experiential and, and event marketing world. It was and largely sponsorships that were bought on a completely non-strategic basis. It was, you know, the joke was it was the CEO love golf. So he goes out and sponsors the PGA. And so XYZ company has this big, expensive PGA sponsorship. So now they've got to figure out a way to to get some value out of it. And um, over the years, I'm sure there's still some of that. It's now actually become very core to most brands marketing plans out there. So we have very, very high accountability and we're fighting for dollars along with every other piece of the pie. And there are no free passes just because the CEO happens to love the sport. So in that way, it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah, makes total sense. Do you think it's going to keep evolving and and changing in that area? Where do you think things are going to go? That's a really good question. I mean, Social media has been probably the biggest, you know, um, factor impacting change over the last several years. And I just have to believe social media and technology is going to continue to impact it greatly. I mean, it, it's so strange because it should have been the thing, social media in particular, or the digital revolution or technology did that killed our industry because theoretically everything becomes much more accountable and much less expensive yeah. than a live experience, which can on a person, 
by person basis is typically, you know, one of the most expensive pieces of the pie. But here we are, 2019, and, you know, we're at peak experiential. The, the industry has never thrived as much as it is right now. And it's because it's changed is in our space, it used to be about creating an event or an experience that could directly everybody in your, your market could participate in the experience physically. So that's when yeah. you had all these big nationwide tours running around, big rolling steel across the country, going to every event. That's kind of, I don't want to say a dying breed, but it's, it's much, much less prevalent now. And what you have now is are a brand doing far, far fewer events in far, far fewer places? I mean, maybe one place they might be doing, you know, just one pop up in New York City or one dynamite event at a festival that only happens one time in one place. But through technology, yeah. you're able to share it out and enable more yeah. and more people to not get the exact experience, but to get a feeling of the experience, um, a sense of the experience at a much reduced cost than, you know, what it costs to implement a live experience for everybody. So it's actually had a positive effect on the industry. Yeah, I totally agree. I see that too. And, you know, it's like, I think good social is uh, the brand in its most authentic way, sharing kind of the, the thing that it gets excited about with consumers so they can figure out whether or not they're of the same lifestyle and they're of the same kind of ilk. And is this an enhancement to the tribe they already have. And social media that does that well is social media that's successful for brands. Because the alternative to that is just bullshit. It's just, it's the things that are clogging up my feed yeah. that I have no respect for. And I think the really cool merging of experiential and social media has been about solving that problem where you are using the experiences that are being created through good, smart experiential and then recording that in the variety of ways that it can be recorded and then using that as content to then share that out with the world. And that's where it becomes really strong. And we're going to wrap up the first part of this episode there. It's really fun talking to Brad and I very much enjoyed the full interview and I hope you'll join us for part two. You know, we're going to start part two out by talking about the uh, old school PR and earned media and how that plays into all of this. There's a great conversation where Brad shares his ideas on how agencies can deal with that challenge of balancing what the brand wants with what people are going to get excited about. We touch on the cannabis industry and we talk more about what Encore is doing to make sure that there are stronger media, social media options for for brands. It's a, and it's a really interesting piece in the second part of the conversation around micro influencers versus uh, the mega influencers and why one is, is often much better than the other when it comes to uh, setting up social media deals. So again, thank you for tuning in. This is part one of a two-part series with Brad Weirs and very much enjoyed the conversation. I hope you'll continue and, and I most importantly hope that you have a, a wonderful day. Thank you again. Tune in next time as Chris Clegg continues demystifying data. Meantime, head over to demystifyingdata.co to learn more.